everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. She flew, not just because she loved it, but she flew for women. And hers was a real feminist commitment. Eleanor Roosevelt said of Amelia Earhart, she helped the cause of women by giving them a feeling that there was nothing they could not do. I just love that. That was author Candace Fleming talking about one of the most famous women in history, the inspiration for countless girls and women, none other than aviator Amelia Earhart. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. In the 1930s, Amelia Earhart was everywhere. In books, newsreels, magazines, advertising, She made flying and feminism popular. She was the first woman and second person after Charles Lindbergh to fly solo across the Atlantic. That was just one of her great achievements. And she remains an object of utter fascination today, due partly to her mysterious disappearance during a 1937 flight to circumnavigate the globe. We're learning about her today from Candace Fleming, author of Amelia Lost, The Life and Disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Listen and learn why Amelia Earhart is one of Seneca's 100 women to hear. I'm delighted to be here today to speak with Candace Fleming about that amazingly iconic woman in history, Amelia Earhart. Welcome, Candace. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Maybe you could tell us at the outset what you think Amelia should best be known for 
in terms of her greatest achievements and her legacy. You know, um, Amelia Earhart, she may be even more famous today than she was at the height of her flying career. Um, and that fascination has shows no sign of abating. Um, the unsolved mystery of her disappearance has become sort of this industry that we've devoted ourselves to. We want to know what happened to her. Um, we have search expeditions and we come up with all these supposed facts that are constantly surfacing. But I think what she should be known for is her influence on the development of mass culture and the merchandising of popular figures. Amelia Earhart really transformed herself into this sort of carefully crafted brand. She advocated and she influenced the emergence of aviation as a major transportation industry. And she symbolized the new opportunities for women in modern life. I mean, she tirelessly promoted equality and opportunities for women in a time when women were really expected to stay within those traditional roles of wife and mother. Um, she flew, not just because she loved it, but she flew for women. And hers was a real feminist commitment. Eleanor Roosevelt said of Amelia Earhart, she helped the cause of women by giving them a feeling that there was nothing they could not do. I just love that. I love that too. Well, let's tease that out a little bit because she was a huge celebrity in her day and a trendsetter. There were magazine covers, her newsreels, her influence. Uh, it was really quite vast. Uh, and she endorsed products as well. Can you tell us more about all of that? <laughs> yeah, she was everywhere. Like I said earlier, she was a brand and she carefully cultivated her public image. She worked, I mean, really worked at being a popular hero. Then um, that started with her 1928 flight across the Atlantic. Um, that meant that 14 hours a day, truly 14 hours of her every day, she spent lecturing or at receptions in big and small towns all across the United States. And that also meant cranking out um, instant books. She actually wrote two bestsellers. She dealt with newsreel photographers and reporters right at the very moment of her grueling flights. Just when they finished, she would have to deal with the reporters. Um, it also meant always being on display wherever she went. Um, one of her favorite sayings, I hope I can remember this right, no pay, no fly, and no work, no play. She was caught in that cycle. Public appearances and endorsements um, were all part of what was necessary for her to earn money to fly, because flying, of course, wasn't cheap. So she broke an aviation record, or she did some flying stunt, and then she lectured and wrote about it. And let's not forget that she had a world-class promoter in her husband, George Putnam. He was from Putnam Publishing. And he brought in endorsement fees, too. And endorsements were big business, but only if they were done right. And actually, the first endorsement she did, they did wrong. She took $1,500 fee for um, Lucky Strikes Lucky Strike cigarettes after her first Atlantic flight in 1928. Um, and Despite it being the rebellious 1920s, it was still not acceptable for nice women to smoke. Um, the general public wasn't impressed. And one of the, her um, fans wrote to her and said, I suppose you drink, too. And actually, Amelia didn't do either. And she didn't endorse either product after that sort of debacle either. Instead, she went on to endorse products like Kodak Film and Pratt Whitney Wasp Engines and Franklin and Hudson Automobiles and Time Saver Stationery. 
She also received some royalties for the use of her name for Ornstein Trunk Companies, the Amelia Earhart Airlight Luggage. And she had her full-sized image. I would wish I had could have seen this. Her full-sized image was in the windows at Macy's along with her luggage. She also designed and marketed her own line of women's clothing, and she called them active clothing. And the tagline, which she wrote herself, read, this is the era of feminine activity. The stay-at-home and the hammock girl are gone. Modern women are strenuously active. Um, she even modeled her own creations in magazines and at events. Um, in her sportswear, she said she tried to recreate the beauty of aviation in the color in the line, um, and that was that she'd found in the air. And by the way, clothes were important to her, and she made the best less. Or I'm sorry, she made the best dressed list six times. My goodness. Well, she she certainly knew how to promote herself and all of the causes that she was involved in, and all of the products that she wanted to put before the public. It's just fascinating to hear you talk about all of that. And you mentioned, of course, her flying, uh, which she's probably most noted for. And in the 20s, there were other women pilots uh, making headlines as well, probably something we're not uh, so much aware of. Uh, And one of them was Bessie Coleman. What was going on in all of that for women flight of the times? Uh, women were really, you know, no pun intended, but they really were taking wing in the 1920s. It was a period of huge change. Um, the First World War had really debunked women's ideas of self-sacrifice and duty and that working for the greater good. Um, they asked themselves, what had it all been for? Millions of people had died. Um, add to that, to the success of the suffrage movement, women could now vote and they were politically engaged in ways they hadn't been before. And all of this sort of led to this expansion of thinking of women in the 1920s, this idea of freedom, their own personal freedom. Um, And they began to struggle for freedoms in their own personal lives. Suddenly, morality resided in being true to oneself rather than a cause. At the same time, you had some dramatic changes in the work patterns. Something like one-third of unmarried women moved into paid employment. This made women a consumer power. And their sexual mores were changing too. And women were beginning to claim that same sexual license as men. So what you see in women in the 1920s with Amelia, Bessie Coleman, you see them puzzling out what freedom means, testing personal limits. They were really trying new things. They were being bold and they were embracing adventure. And interestingly, individualistic heroines like Amelia and Bessie Coleman, they were sympathetically reported in the media and spread by popular culture. And this really had an effect on that ordinary woman who lived in Indiana or Kentucky or Nevada. They too began to see that they could have adventures themselves. So a real lesson in how more people adopted to these changing times. What prompted her to um, become a flyer? And maybe in answering, you could also say a little bit about her instructor, who was also a woman. Oh, I love Meta Snook. I love her name, right? <laughs> and, and I, isn't it wonderful? And at our house, we actually, when something goes bad, we go, oh, Meta Snook, because it's such a, <laughs> such a just great name. Um, Amelia's interest actually was sparked when she was a 20-year-old, um, and she was working in a Canadian military hospital during World War I. And it was near nearby. The hospital was close to a 
an airfield. And she sort of hung around. She loved hanging around and listening to the pilots talk about there's exciting adventures with bad weather and with air battles. And she loved watching those planes take off. And she claimed it was the first time that she actually felt that pull to fly. But it wasn't until 1920 when she moved to California that aviation, as she says, caught her. Um, Flying was all the rage, um, especially in Southern California. And every week there was something going on. So they had plane races and somebody was doing stunt flying or wing walking. And Amelia and her father attended an air, air meet and she watched these amazing flyers and then turned to her father and said she thought she would like to do that too. Um, her father, of course, he was not enthusiastic. What parent would want their daughter to go up, and especially in 1920? I mean, airplanes were basically kites with, with an engine, not safe. Um, but she convinced him that she, to arrange a flight, a trial flight for her. Um, and so she went up the next day, was the first time she'd ever flown. Now, her father really intended for her to be terrified and get over this idea of flying. But instead, she was exhilarated, and she just had to learn how to fly. She was completely hooked, so that backfired. Um, she chose Netta Snook because Netta was the only female flyer in Southern California who was in the business of giving lessons, and Amelia thought she would feel much more comfortable with a woman instructor. Um, and Netta Snook, wow, she was something. She was this feisty redheaded 24-year-old. She taught herself or she um, paid for her own lessons and had learned to fly as a teenager. And then, then when World War I started, she tried to bull her way, bulldoze her way into the U.S. Air Corps. Um, of course, they wouldn't take her because she was a woman. She was a fantastic pilot, so they missed out. Um, she became an airplane mechanic instead. I mean, think about that. She's a mechanic during World War I. Um, when the war did end, she bought herself a wrecked warplane. She repaired it, and then she barnstormed across the country. She charged passengers, uh, I think it was $15 for a 15-minute ride. <laughs> and like I said, she was a great pilot. And so besides the basics of flying, which in those days were pretty basic, you had a stick and a rudder, um, Netta taught Amelia how to keep her mind focused on flying. Netta always claimed that Amelia daydreamed during flying, which wasn't safe. She taught Amelia to always check her fuel gauge before they took off. Amelia tended to hop into the plane and want to hit the clouds immediately, and sometimes safety did not come first. And Netta taught Amelia about what to do in emergencies, when to pull up the nose, when to shove that nose down. Um, Netta went on to not be particularly complimentary about Amelia's flying abilities. Um, they only flew together for about seven months, and then Amelia changed instructors. instructors left Netta behind. Oh, wow. But it sounds like Netta was quite entrepreneurial herself, uh, fixing that plane and charging people to go for rides on it. They must have been quite a duo as long as it lasted. Yeah, I think there was probably some jealousy there on both parts. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, so she makes the famous flight, that solo flight across the Atlantic. What can you tell us about that? What was it like? Physical and mental challenges surely must have been there for her. You're such a wonderful uh, scene setter. Help us understand what that was like. Oh, you know, it was a amazing flight. At least I think so. I think Amelia probably would not call it amazing. Um, she took off on May twentieth, nineteen thirty-two, and I love 
the reason that she took off. It was the fifth anniversary of Charles Lindbergh's famous solo flight. <laughs> so there's our girl promoting herself as much as she can. It was a good choice for a date. She left from Harbor Grace, Newfoundland. Um, in her cockpit, she took along some tomato juice, canned tomato juice, and a couple of squares of chocolate for sustenance. Um, and things went pretty well, uh, at least in the daytime. And then it got dark and her um, altimeter failed. And without it, she had no way of knowing you know, how far above the ocean she was actually flying. Luckily, the night was bright, so she could see the water below. Um, then she smelled something burning. She stood and she saw this flame out front. And she realized that it was um, a manifold seam that had broken, a broken weld in the manifold seam. And hot exhaust gases were escaping from her plane cylinders, causing this flame. She hoped the fire wouldn't spread, and she flew on. Uh, just, I think it's amazing because she's over the Atlantic. Um, but she kept looking out the side window, and she worried. Uh, later on, she actually admitted that she thought about turning back, but she was already four hours out, and so it would be four hours back. So she might as well just keep on going. Then the weather turned absolutely awful. A rainstorm came around, around and just pummeled her little aircraft, reduced visibility to almost nothing. And so she really was now flying blind. Um, she felt sure that she had been buffeted way off course. And then the rain turned to ice and it coated the plane and it weighed it down. And the plane went into a spin. Amelia claims she doesn't know how long she was in a spin, but of course she managed to pull it out. Um, but then she had no choice but to, to descend to the warmer weather or warmer air closer to the water so that the ice on the plane would melt. But sometimes she dipped too low and then the waves would lick at the landing gear. Oh. And just when you think that's bad enough, the fog rolls in. And so now she really cannot see. So she would climb again in hopes of getting above the fog. And then they would start to ice up and she would lower down into the fog to let the ice melt. And then she would ascend to get above the fog up and down and up and down. It must have been harrowing. She actually had some smelling salts with her that she used to um, maintain her concentration. And she later admitted to almost losing her nerve over the ice and fog. Um, it really was a nightmare. Daybreak finally came, and that flaming broken weld was sh shaking and rattling. Um, and she was really worried about that. And then when she went to switch on her reserve fuel tank, which was overhead, the switch was overhead, she discovered that the gauge leaked. And so gasoline was trickling down her oh. neck. I, I could, yeah, I know it's like so many bad things at once. And so she made a decision right there and then that she was planning to go all the way to Paris and do the Lindbergh, you know, do what Lindbergh had done. But now she decided that she would just land at the first possible place. Pretty soon she sees a meadow. She circles down. She lands beside a herd of astonished cows. And I then bet. she. I bet they were astonished. And then she climbs out of the cockpit and calls to an equally astonished farmer, where am I? And he calls back Gallagher's pasture. And she'd actually landed in Northern Ireland. Um, didn't make it all the way to Paris, but still becomes the first woman to fly solo 2,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean. 
I mean, you you described that in such uh, dramatic ways that I I felt myself on the edge of my my seat here as I'm taking the flight with her. Uh, truly harrowing. Truly harrowing. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Well, I know she um, went on to uh, create the 99s, an international organization, to advance female pilots. Did that organization have impact? It did. It still does. Um, in 1929, there were, what, 26 female pilots. They got together in an air hangar on Curtis Field um, in New York, and they decided that they would create this organization. And I, I love this because it is such an Amelia Earhart thing to do. She felt that women pilots, women in aviation needed a group to support each other and perhaps look for employment for each other um, and keep information on women in aviation and their achievements. She also wanted to promote the advancement of aviation and women's place in it. She did not want people to forget about women's place in aviation. Um, the name came from the sum number of their members. And originally it was, so the group was originally called the 86s, and then they were the 97s, and finally the 99s, and that name stuck. Um, although the group does still exist, and the group has membership that has far surpassed 99, it's worldwide, and it includes not just pilots, but technicians, mechanics, um, any woman who has had achievement in aviation. And I think she would, Amelia would just love that. Well, and so interesting that uh, her legacy also continues 
uh, in that way as well. Well, let's pivot now to that much-discussed topic that you mentioned at the outset, her disappearance. It's a whole cottage industry um, (laughs) has been put in place uh, to deal with that. What do we know exactly about what happened? Hmm. Here's what we do know, verifiable, right? We know that on July 2nd of 1937, Amelia and her navigator, Fred Noonan, they took off from New Guinea in her big Lockheed Electra. They were headed for Howland Island. Howland Island, of course, is this tiny spit of coral sand in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Because it was so small and thus so hard to locate from the air, the U.S. Coast Guard um, had sent out the Itasca to help make it easier for her to spot. And at dawn, the Itasca began belching out these thick clouds of black smoke as a visual signal. And the ship's radio men waited to receive and send messages to her when she got within signal distance. They also had been sending out a steady steady stream of Morse code, the letter A-A-A-A-A-A-A, as a guide to help her find the island. Um, The radio men first heard her, we know, from the logbook at 2.45 a.m., and she sounded very calm and reported on the weather. Cloudy and overcast is what she said. The rest of her message got lost in static. No one was particularly worried because they felt she was too far out yet. Um, At 5 a.m., they heard her again. Again, she was reporting on the weather. It was partly cloudy, she said, and then again, lost in static. At 6.14 a.m., they heard her say, Itasca, this is K-H-A-Q, which were her call numbers, want bearing and will whistle in mic. And so she told them she was 200 miles away and she began whistling into her radio's microphone. And this shocked the radio men on the Itasca. Um, they did have a direction finder on the ship that could pick up radio signals and could determine where they were coming from. But Amelia was using the wrong radio frequency for that. Oh, my. Yeah. And they realized they were horrified that they realized they could not help her, not the way that she needed. So 30 minutes passed and there were no transmissions from her. And then at 6.45, she came back, please take bearing at us. And she whistled in the microphone again. For the next hour, the Itesco radio men sent signals and messages and Morse code, and they were absolutely frantic. Um, They knew she'd been flying about 19 hours at this point. They knew that her fuel had to be running low. At 7.42, she breaks through again, and she says, we cannot... We, can, we must be on you, but cannot see you. We're flying at an altitude of 1,000 feet. Uh, the Itasca's head radio man at this point thought the signal was so, so strong, he actually stepped outside because he was sure that she was right overhead. And mm. of course, she wasn't. At 7.48, she said, we are listening, but cannot hear you. And at 8 a.m., she said, please take bearing on us and answer. Those radio men were sick. They tried everything for 45 minutes. They tried, they they got pretty creative. Um, One of the chief radio men actually said, I was sitting there sweating blood. And then at 8.45, she said, we are on line 157.335. We will repeat message. We are running on line north and south. And her voice, according to that same radio man, sounded frantic. And then there was nothing. Mm. all day. At 6 p.m. that same day, at 6 p.m. that evening, radio men thought they heard her, uh, but the signal was too weak. And so they asked the sender, 
the sender to give them a series of long dashes. And in reply, they heard this on and off again sound like a generator starting and stopping. And radio men actually disregarded the sound because normally Morse code is sent with a sending key. And what they didn't know is that Amelia did not have a Morse code sending key on the plane. And so for her to send Morse code, she had to push, had to actually push the two talk button on a radio microphone. Um, and when she did this, it sounded like a generator going on, on and off. Um, they actually recorded in their log, well, all of this in their log book. Um, and then there was something else too. Later, a man's voice could be heard on that same signal. And there was some this terrible miscommunication because Itasca didn't know that Fred Noonan was along with her. She they thought she was actually flying alone, and so when they heard a man's voice, they chalked that signal up to being a hoax. Oh! Eventually, the Coast Guard, along with the Navy, searched for it for sixteen days, and at one point, a um, a biplane spotted. Um, Signs of habitation on Gardner Island, which was about or is about 350 miles south of Holland Island, um, but he didn't report what he saw, and no one followed up. And I think this is amazing that the U.S. government actually spent 4.5 million dollars on searching for her. Now this is during the Depression, um, which comes to about 58 million dollars nowadays, and they still came up at de-handed. Um, Curiously, during this time, dozens of ordinary people who had shortwave radios in their homes claimed to have heard her calling. Um, and some of them seem legitimate to modern day Earhart scholars. But back then, officials just thought they were all pranks. Wow. And the industry continues to, to go on speculating, correct? Indeed. I've just recently, we had a National Geographic team out looking right off the coast of Gardner Island for her. Again, they came up empty-handed, but I understand they'll be returning soon. Well, I know you wrote uh, the book, Amelia Lost, The Life and Disappearance of Amelia Earhart. What were some of the most interesting and little-known facts uh, you discovered about her, separate from everything you've already told us? Oh, you know, there were so many little things. I loved that she had an open marriage with her husband, George Putnam. What I love about that is that she actually sent him a letter prior to the wedding, pretty much spelling out um, the terms of her marriage. I mean, that is, I love that women just didn't do that, right? Um, or that the fact that she was not the best pilot out there, she was just the gutsiest and the best promoted. Uh, but I think what, what I found most fascinating was that she was um, a bit of a fibber. Um, for example, in there's this famous anecdote about her. Uh, it, so it appears, I think, in almost every Earhart book I've read about how in 1908, when she was an 11-year-old, she went to the Iowa State Fair with her family, where she saw her very first airplane. She described it as a thing of wire and wood. But she was not remotely interested in what basically was her future uh, because she was wearing this absurd little Hat, or this absurd little hat that was made out of an, of an inverted peach basket. And she was just too um, interested in her hat to notice a plane. And this is such a charming story. 
But when you place it in aviation history, it can't possibly be true because the Wright brothers just five years earlier in 1903 had made that first sort of bumbling flight. And they didn't fly again public until the very year that she claimed to have seen a plane at the Iowa State Fair. Um, in 1908. But we know that Wilbur was doing demonstration flights in France and Orville was doing flights in Virginia. So, hmm, was there a plane at the Iowa State Fair? I actually called the Iowa State Historical Society and they said, no, no planes. And I thought, well, that's too bad. It was a good story. I can't use it. Um, then I discovered that that wonderfully tousled hair, which the press and during her life really sort of had a fixation on, they would always say, take off your hat, Amelia, show us your hair. That sort of tousled hairdo that she had, I discovered was very carefully quaffed. She took a curling iron to it every day. Um, so there was another great story I couldn't tell. And then there was this wonderful story about how Fred Noonan never sat in the cockpit with her, but instead would tell her when to change course by, by writing a note that he would attach then to a fishing pole, a bamboo fishing pole. And he would, I know it's ridiculous when you think about it, but, but people actually believed in it. It gets reported even today. And of course, that's completely not true. And all of these stories were stories that Amelia told herself. Um, and at one point, I remember coming out to my family when I was in the middle of writing this book. I had all these wonderful anecdotes that I've now discovered I can't use because they're not true. And I remember coming out and saying to my family, I'm going to call this book Flyer, Flyer, Pants on Fire. <laughs> um, but I realized that, of course, that was all part of that promotional, mm -hmm. that need to be palatable to the public so that she could continue to fly. Well, I guess she was ahead of her time in that respect, too, because we have a lot of that sort of thing today. We're running out of time, I regret to say, but let me just ask you before we have to stop. If she were alive today, what causes do you think she'd be involved in? And clearly she was interested in the 99s, but were there other kinds of things as well, you think? Oh, definitely. Oh, I think I, think I can actually envision her doing something like... Um, an Amelia Earhart Foundation to encourage girls to get involved in technology and science and advocating STEM education, particularly for females, even providing scholarship for females who want to enter those types of fields. I mean, that was something that she was really interested in just before her death. And she was doing it at Purdue University, um, encouraging girls into go in, going into aviation and engineering. So I think she would definitely have continued with that. Um, and I have no doubt that she would have been a feminist organizer. I think if she was alive today, she'd be mobilizing a diversity of women um, across countries, across groups of women. Um, when I think about what her message was, it still rings pretty fresh and compelling today. I mean, her message was women are the equals of men. Both should have equal opportunities. Her, you know, her message was there are no limits to what a woman can do if given the chance and that women and men must live together as equal partners. Well, we, we hope we get to that place someday, certainly. The journey continues. It sure does. Thank you so much, Candace, for really bringing Amelia Earhart's story to us in such a lively way uh, and helping us to understand her better, her times, her pioneering spirit, and her sense of adventure, clearly. So we are very, very grateful to you. Thank you, Candace Fleming. Thank you. 
Well, you can see why Amelia Earhart remains an icon for more than 80 years after her disappearance. Here are three things I took from my conversation with biographer Candace Fleming. First, Amelia Earhart showed the world what a strong, independent woman looked like. She chose the career she wanted, she dressed as she pleased, and she encouraged other women to follow her example. Second, she was ahead of her time. At a moment when mass media was a new phenomenon, she understood the value of publicity. Every action she took, every interview she gave, and every endorsement she made was done to enhance her carefully cultivated brand. And finally, Amelia Earhart believed in bringing other women along with her. She helped found the 99s, an organization to support and advocate for other women pilots. Her message was that women could and should do anything men can do. Tune in next Tuesday to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.